This audio recording is of our regular Sunday service, June 11th, 2017, at Restoration Road Church in Snohomish, Washington. The speaker is Andrew Pack. More information can be found at restorationroadchurch.com. My name is Andrew, and I am the director of the Three Strand Network, which this church is a part of, and this is also a church that my family has in recent uh, weeks and months uh, come to call home, so this is home for us. Uh, If you would please turn with me uh, in your scriptures uh, to the words of the Apostle Paul, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8, I will pray for us, and then we can go ahead and dig in. Uh, King Jesus, this is your day, and we are your people, and we are assembled for your glory, confident that you will reveal yourself to us through your word and by your spirit today. We come as people confident that you are with us, confident that you brought us here, and confident that you will speak to us. I pray for this this message that, Lord Jesus, the things that are just of me, may they be forgotten, but the things of you, may they be uh, like logs uh, on our passion, that that, that we would have hearts that burn with with a white-hot passion for who you are and what you've done and what you're doing in the world with the confidence that you have finished it all and you will complete it all. And that we come in and go from here as your representatives on planet earth as kingdom people to bring the good news of your kingdom, to bring the good news of King Jesus to Snohomish and Mill Creek and Lake Stevens and Snohomish County. And so Jesus uh, used this this frail person uh, as your instrument. Please, Lord Jesus, and may we worship you well together. We love you, Lord, and pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen. Uh, so we're in 2 Timothy chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on a table just right outside that door. If you don't own a Bible, we would love for you to not only get one of those and follow along, but please take that with you when you go. Uh, so here we are in 2 Timothy, and, and, and the, the background is this, that Paul is writing this letter to Timothy with a purpose, and that he would believe Jesus. He would believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he would believe that Jesus has done what he has done and will do what he will do. And there's two things you have to understand about this paragraph before we dig in. Number one, Paul is on death row. He is in a Roman prison and he is going to die for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's willing to do so. And there's nothing more valuable for him or to him in the world. And secondly, you must understand that he is there because of the gospel. You must understand that he is there because he knows the truth. That God made this world good and human beings are the ones that broke it. This is a world that God made good. It is a world that we have broken. We break our lives. We break our communities. We are the problem in the world. And God in Genesis 3, right from the beginning, makes a promise to send his son Jesus Christ to fix the problems that we have made. This is the business of the gospel. Jesus is in the business of fixing the problems that you have made because he is gracious to you and it is a gift. So he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to enter into human history, to live like you, to have flesh and blood like you, to breathe air like you, to walk on the same earth as you, to know what it's like to be you, but to do so without any sin so that he could be a faithful high priest and could relate to you in every way. Not only that, he died on a cross to pay the price for your sins, to wash you clean from all the wrongdoing you've ever done, to make you absolutely and completely right with God, and not because of anything you have done, but everything he has done for his glory and your joy. And if you do not know Jesus today, this is the God we worship. This is the truth of the gospel. This is the God we want you to know today. This is the God we love, Jesus Christ. So Paul's on death row for this gospel, and for this Jesus. And he wants one thing for Timothy, his young friend, the guy he's discipled, the guy he calls his true child in the faith. He wants one thing for him, and that he would believe Jesus and hold on to him with absolutely everything he has. And so he's going to walk through this text, and he's going to do it in sort of three acts, if you will. He's going to give Timothy the reasons he should hold fast to King Jesus. And then he's going to show himself holding fast to King Jesus. And then he's going to show other people holding fast to King Jesus. And the thing that I need you to see, especially if you come in here, if you come in here discouraged today, if you come in here beat up today, if you come in here doubting today, the thing you need to know that the reasons we cling to King Jesus are also the fuel for that clinging. 
the reasons we cling to Jesus is the fuel to hang on to him, to hold fast to him. So here we are in 2 Timothy chapter 1, starting in verse 8. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. So that very first phrase, uh, a couple of things you need to see really, is that this is two, two sides of the same coin. Don't be ashamed, but suffer. Don't do one thing, but do another thing. We live in a time and a place where suffering isn't something we do. In fact, we live in a time and a place where comfort is the thing that we love. As a society, comfort is one of our highest values. When I was a child in my parents' celebrity station wagon, if it got hot in the car in the summertime, we had this lever that you used your muscles to roll and the window would go down and you would drive on the freeway and air would come in the car and it would cool you down. Every car in 2017 has air conditioning at this point in time. And every car has electric windows because this apparently is too hard for us. This is too uncomfortable. Paul is in a Roman prison, which is a dark hole with a square in the top for light and air. And he's doing this for King Jesus. And he's holding fast to King Jesus. And we live in a time and a place where you might not be thrown in a Roman prison because they don't actually have those anymore. Uh, unless you go look at some archaeological ruins or whatever, but that's not how it works anymore. But you live in a time and a place in 2017 where the world is making us uncomfortable for our love of King Jesus. If you are in a community college or a university, uh, if you're even at public school, if you're in Bellingham, Washington in 1997, when I was, it's not comfortable to be a Christian. People put the heat on. You turn on NPR and the heat is on. You go to work and the heat is on. You go to school, the heat is on. With your friends, the heat is on to do whatever you can to not say, this is the book I believe. This is the God I worship. He is my king and I will hold fast to him till the end, period. It's very uncomfortable. It's getting more and more uncomfortable to be a Christian in 2017. And we live in a time and a place where the world wants you to do anything you can to be ashamed of the gospel. If you're just ashamed of Jesus just a little bit, oh, I'm not one of those kinds of Christians. Well, we won't make you suffer then. As long as you're not one of those kinds of Christians who believe this book or that king or that he actually has something for your life and that you should do those things. Wouldn't want to worship that guy, right? It's who we worship. It's who we love. He made everything and he's the king. Of course I'm going to listen to him. He knows how life works best. Of course I'm going to listen to him. He doesn't have a single command in there that's not because he doesn't love you. They're all because he loves you and he loves his glory and he wants to lead you into joy. That is what those commands are for. We are really good at taking the stuff that he has made and using them for something other than enjoying him and loving other people, but that's why he made everything. We're good at doing a bunch of other stuff with it. He's got more for you than that. He just has more for you than that. So listen to what he's saying here, though. So we have these two sides of the same coin. So we're in Act 1. Holding fast to King Jesus. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. The testimony, the teaching, the truth about Jesus. Don't, don't be ashamed of this. And what's really interesting is this word, don't be ashamed. Uh, this is actually a really, really, really Jewish way that he's saying this. Uh, and this is the strongest way Paul can say this. Uh, this kind of phrase appears in three places. In Jesus' sayings, when he says not to do something. In the Old Testament, and here. And so this wouldn't be as eloquent in your English standard version that you have, but the best way to say this is never, ever, 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 ever be ashamed of Jesus. Don't ever, ever, ever be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. Don't ever do it. It's the strongest way Paul can say what he's saying to him because he knows for Timothy this is the way to life. And don't ever be ashamed of it. Don't ever be ashamed of it. But he doesn't just say that, does he? nor of me as prisoner. Don't be ashamed of me as prisoner. This is rough for us, I think. We spend a lot of time, I think, trying to tell people that we're not those kinds of Christians. There's some kind of Christian we've imagined that our non-Christian friends don't like, and we spend most of our time trying to tell them we're not that kind of Christian. Yeah, crusades, not that kind of Christian. Yeah, got it. That was bad. That was wrong. Yes, not that kind of Christian. 
But, you know, the guy down the street being faithful to Jesus, who people are throwing rocks at because he's being faithful to Jesus. And even by extension, I think, your own local church, right? You know, you show up at work tomorrow because you're local. I guess not tomorrow because I'm saying this, but, you know, last week. You show up to work and some guy says, hey, don't, don't, you, don't you go to that church, Restoration Road, down in Snohomish? I don't know, why? Uh, my friend went the other week and the guy up front said that everybody's a sinner and they're going to hell unless they love Jesus. I don't believe that. That's, that's garbage. Do you know anything about this church? And you're like, yeah, I mean, sometimes I go like, like to the morning service or what, you know, whatever. Like, I guess sometimes, some, you know, when it's not sunny out, I go when it's raining. Doesn't it rain all the time? Well, yeah, it's Washington, I know. But hey, right? Instead of saying, you know, you are a sinner, and so am I, and I need Jesus, and so do you. Can I buy you lunch at any restaurant you pick out today and tell you about him? Because I think your friend uh, may have heard some things right, but I don't know how they heard them. And can I, can I walk with you in that? Can I, can I just love you and take you? I mean, worst case scenario, I'll buy you some pad thai, and, you know, that's that, right? Worst case scenario, you got lunch out of the deal. I'll be nice, I promise, right? Don't be ashamed of Jesus, I think by extension, or his people. Or his people. One of the best ways, not one of the best ways, I think one of the ways that we most try and get cred with non-Christian people is convincing them that we don't like Christian people. It's your family. Yeah, my sister does some wacky things, but she is my little sister, and that's how it goes. My dad I won't tell you stories about my dad, but he does wacky things. He's still my dad. He's weird. I'd say that if he was here because I say it to him all the time. I love him. He would know I mean that in love. I won't say it about my mom because she's my mom, right? Like, don't. But she's weird too. But so am I. So we're all okay. Okay? But listen. So, so again, it's like two sides of a coin. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, nor of me as prisoner. So that's one side of the coin but share in suffering for the gospel. Be made uncomfortable by associating with Jesus and his people. If it comes down to that, right? This is not weird. This is not go from here and go suffer. That would be weird and you shouldn't do that, right? Uh, You are free in Christ to do CrossFit and throw tires around the room or whatever suffering you put yourself through. You are free in Christ to do that thing, but don't go do, in, don't go do that thing because he says suffer. This is really about saying, I will cling to King Jesus even when it makes me uncomfortable because he is more valuable than anything that makes me uncomfortable because he is my king. He is my, my, my everything. Now, listen. Verse 9. So what he does here is he doesn't just say, suffer for the gospel because that's what Christians are supposed to do. He doesn't suffer, say, suffer for the gospel because that's what good Christians do. He doesn't say those things. There might be some truth to that, but that's not the reason. What I need you to see here is he takes Timothy, who is really suffering, who is feeling very uncomfortable, who is feeling just out of fuel and out of gas, and Paul is instead of saying, you should try harder. You should do some spiritual push-ups. You should fake it till you make it. You should white-knuckle it. I need you to do this, Timothy, because that's what you're supposed to do. What does he do? He begins to take these ideas that function like logs on the fire of Timothy's passion, and he begins to throw these logs on the fire one after the other. And what I need you to see is that there's nothing he is about to say that Timothy doesn't already know. And honestly, if you've been a Christian for any amount of time, I'm probably going to say a bunch of stuff that you probably already know. And especially if you're coming in here discouraged or just feeling out of gas, this is exactly what you need to hear. Verse 9. Who saved us? King Jesus saved you from your sin, from yourself, from Satan, from the dominion of darkness. He saved you. He came and got you when you were running away from him. First John's going to say when we were still, I mean, 
You're not supposed to say this in 2017. While we were still enemies, while you were an enemy of God, he came and rescued you and saved you. And you went metaphorically, usually metaphorically, you know, kicking and screaming out of the house that is on fire and burning down. That was your life before Jesus, and he's busy trying to pull you out of the fire, and you're busy trying to handcuff yourself to the sink under the kitchen so he can't pull you out of the fire that's burning down. And this is a gift to you. This is what he has done in your life. So this is the reason you should hold fast to him, but this is fuel for the fire for our passion to holding fast to him. Log on the fire. (sighs) Doesn't stop there, does he? And called us to a holy calling. He has set you part, apart for a purpose. Uh, we use this word sanctification to mean the process by which we, we kind of grow in holiness as we grow in Christ-likeness. But listen to what he's saying here. This is, this is different than that idea. That's not a wrong idea, but this is actually the more biblical picture that you were going down one road as his enemy. He picked you up out of the fire and put you over here for his purposes. Now, mind you, he doesn't do this because you are awesome at ping pong. He doesn't do this because you bring anything to the table whatsoever. Pep talk, right? You don't bring anything to the table. God does not need you. And that is actually really good news. He is not dependent upon you for a thing. And yet in his grace and in his mercy, plucks you out and calls you to this holy calling. So listen, this isn't just that you come with empty hands and that you don't bring anything to the table. You and I are a liability. You and I don't just come with empty hands, we come with hands full of sin and destruction. We we come with all the wrong things we've ever done to God and people. We come with all the right things that we've ever done for the wrong reasons, mostly to make ourselves feel better and feel awesome and justify ourselves in the world, right? Right? You, you brought some food to a, a, a food bank so that you could tweet about it and everyone would celebrate you. Well, you didn't give the food to the food bank for the people who needed food. You gave it to the food bank so that people would tweet about how awesome you are. You did it for you. You didn't give them the food. You gave it to yourself. Right things, wrong reasons. You should do that. Love your neighbor as yourself. You should but forget yourself and love Jesus and love them. Not only that, there are right things you didn't, haven't done. There have been things you just sort of avoided. I'm not going to look at that thing over there that I don't want to deal with uh, because it's the right thing I know I'm supposed to do. But if I look at it with my actual eyes and not just hear it with my ears, then I'll be accountable for it or something. And no, there are right things you have just not done. That's what you bring to the table. That's how Jesus saves you as a liability to him. It's not even just that you're not good at kickball. He didn't need you for the kickball team. The holy rollers, he doesn't need you for the kickball team. But the matter of fact is you actually bring a liability. You bring a loss. And yet he pulls you out of that fire and saves you for his purposes to fix you up, to make you right, and send you on his mission. He Now, if you are his, you can live a life pleasing to him. You do things in Jesus by the power of the Spirit that actually glorify Him. When you find your satisfaction in Him, when you give of yourself to help other people follow Jesus, when you suffer for Him, your Heavenly Father is actually pleased by these things. He's called you to a holy calling. Now remember, Timothy is getting this letter from Paul in prison. That's where Paul's sitting when he's writing these things that he's clinging to and believes with all of his heart. And he knows Timothy needs to hear. Listen. Not because of our works, but because of his own purposes and grace. You have done nothing to earn your salvation in any way, shape, and form. This is good news to you. Because I don't know about you, but that liability is pretty rough for me. Right? I, I don't want the test I don't, I don't want to bring my works to the table. They're nothing. And it's all a gift. A massive, huge gift to you. Which He gave us 
in Christ Jesus before the ages began. Again, how clear is this? That it's not that you have something to bring to the table. He planned to save you before you existed. That is grace. He uses an interesting phrase here, Christ Jesus. Now, sometimes we think of Christ as Jesus' last name, right? His last name, and we're just getting it sort of bank style here, Christ Jesus instead of Jesus Christ. Uh, Christ is not his last name. It's a title. Uh, Usually when it's Jesus Christ, what they're saying there is Jesus, the Messiah. The Messiah, we need to build this category out if you don't have this category. Uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians that all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus. What he means is that in the Old Testament, just like I mentioned in Genesis 3.15, we break everything and he makes a promise to send somebody to come and fix something. And throughout the whole Old Testament, he just keeps making these promises. I'm going to send somebody who's going to rule. I'm going to send somebody who's going to reign. I'm going to send somebody who's going to bring my kingdom. Uh, To us, a child is born. To us, a son is given. You put it on your Christmas card. And if you actually read that chapter, the verse above says he's going to deal with all the warfare. You don't put that part on your Christmas card because it would ruin your Christmas card because it's about boots and blood and stuff. But what he's saying is Jesus is going to come and he's going to make this world right. The Messiah is going to come and it happens over and over and over and over and over again in the Old Testament. The Messiah. Jesus. This is why John, this is why John freaks out in Luke chapter 4. This is why John's in jail. He's the forerunner. He was promised too to come talk about Jesus and he sends his disciples to Jesus and he says, go ask that cat if he's the Messiah. That's what's happening there. Go ask if he's the one. It's in Luke 4. I'm remixing it, but here it is, right? And how does Jesus answer these guys in that prison? Or not with the prison, the guys who have come from prison from John. He answers them with Isaiah and he begins to tell them about all the messianic things that he's doing. The the blind have sight and the, the, the 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 poor have good news preached to them. What he's saying there is, I'm Messiah. Now, here's our problem with the word Messiah. We don't use it for anything ever. (laughs) We probably should. It's a great name for a church. It's a great name for a song. It's a great name for a lot of things. But it's a kingly title. Psalm 110, the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. It's that Psalm 2 reality that God is going to send this king who's going to deal with all the nations who are living in rebellion against God. Right? He's the king. So I think what Paul's doing when he says Christ Jesus is saying King Jesus. He's saying, Timothy, remember who's the king? Yeah, I know I'm in prison. Who's the king? Yeah, I know. He's the king. What's interesting is 2 Timothy's four chapters long. Paul's on death row. These are probably his last words to the world. And he uses the phrase Christ Jesus 11 times in four chapters. When you're reading your Bible, two Bible study tips. One, read it slower than you already do. And pay attention to what it says. And two, pay attention when someone starts running over the same thing again and again. Paul, from prison, keeps beating this drum of King Jesus. And which has now been manifest through the peering of our Savior. Here it is again, Christ Jesus. That's twice in two verses. Paul, didn't you take a creative writing class? Don't you know you're not supposed to do that? Use a pronoun for goodness sakes. He doesn't want to use a pronoun. He wants to say King Jesus again. I'm glad he did. Who what? Listen. Who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Abolished death, brought life and immortality. What is happening here? He's proclaiming the truth that Jesus Christ has died on the cross and has defeated death when he rose from the dead. Every Sunday is Easter Sunday. Every Monday is Easter Monday for that matter, right? Jesus is risen from the dead right now. Right now. He's risen from the dead and ruling and reigning right now. That's why Paul can write this from prison. That's true of Paul then, it's true of us now. He's ruling and reigning when we sing songs to him together. 
He is sitting on his throne hearing Restoration Road sing songs to King Jesus. Right? The band did not come up here as the warm-up comedian before Led Zeppelin, right? They're not just trying to warm up the crowd before the speaker comes out. They came here to sing songs to Jesus because we, the people of God, come from the world to gather as His people to worship Him in song, to worship Him in prayer, to worship Him as we do this together. I don't know if you know this. I know I'm the one talking and have the microphone, which kind of puts me in the middle. It's not about me in the middle. This is about us together opening His Word. Jesus is in the middle, and this is something we do together. This is not a spectator sport. Please pray for the people who are preaching here. Be engaged, being actively asking that God would do something when we gather as His people. It's not that one guy has a thing to do. It's that we do this together. We are worshiping together Jesus right now. Now, so here's these three ideas, right? This Jesus dealt with death. This is awesome, right? He dealt with sin, right? Death is called the last enemy. Sin uh, creates death. This is, I think, the total package of Jesus dealing with all the darkness in the world. This is good. But not just that. Life. He's given you life. Life right now. John uses the word eternal life, and we always think heaven when John in John's gospel and John's letters says eternal life. When he says eternal life, he really means we have life in the kingdom of King Jesus right now. It's a real, actual, spiritual life we have in Jesus. If you are a Christian, you are actually a different kind of person. I don't have any time to unpack that, but it's amazing. And it's a gift. So he's dealt with death. He's given us life. And life eternal. Now, starting now, forever with Jesus. Log on the fire. It's not just the reason you should cling, but the power to do so. Right? And here's our, our problem, I think. Sometimes we get lopsided with our gospel. Um, you know, if it's all about life now, Jesus just sort of becomes your buddy or your counselor who's going to give you a big house and a nice car and your, you know, your best life now, and, uh, you know, Jesus is basically going to make it so you don't have to live a life like him or any of his disciples. That's probably not right, right? But that's kind of where we can go with it. It's really just about him dealing with sort of the day-to-day problems of your life. Conversely, we can do kind of all death, right? You're a bunch of sinners. True. If you're a Christian, stay by grace. If you're not a Christian, be saved by grace today. Today is the day of your salvation. Today is the day. But if we only kind of hunker down on sin, it's just kind of, you guys all suck and you guys are all sinners and now the band's going to come out and we're going to sing. Woo! Yay, I guess. A lot to sing about. You know, we got to be careful. I've never seen this here in my time here, but we gotta, I've seen this even with communion a lot, right? When we take communion, this wonderful, amazing thing, we remember Jesus' body and broken blood, body broken and blood shed for our sins. And the Bible does tell us to take that really, really seriously, to consider our sin. But when we come up and take this, we come and take this because we are people who have been washed clean by his blood. So yeah, sit in your seat, consider your sin, turn from your sin, turn to Jesus, but come up and celebrate. This isn't a funeral. He's risen from the dead and you've been washed clean from your sin. But we kind of live over just in the death side. It's just like feel bad about yourself and then do this thing. I don't think that's what Jesus has in mind. I, I, I don't see it in, in the Gospels. I don't see it in First Corinthians when he talks about it. it. It's not a Catholic thing where we just sort of feel bad until we kind of feel like we felt bad enough. Right? That's not the point. This is a celebration meal. Jesus has paid the price for my sins. Praise the Lord. Likewise, we can be kind of over on this other side, right? Just eternal life. You just need to say a prayer so that you can go to heaven to be with Jesus. I want you to go to heaven and be with Jesus. Not only that, I want you to be there when he restores this world and he returns and there will be no more death and he wipes the tears from the eyes and we celebrate him forever and ever and ever in the new heavens and the new earth. So it's actually more than that, by the way. I even think that is a little bit weak. Just go to heaven. Fire insurance. Don't go to hell. Hell is hot. Hell is scary. I don't want you to go to hell. Uh, Hell is real. So this is the conversation that your coworker will have with your other coworker, and then they can have that conversation with you around the water cooler. I went to Restoration Road, and the guy said, hell is real, and that I don't want to go there. It's true. 
I don't want you to go to hell. But the thing you need to know that hell is not a place, or pardon me, heaven is not a place where people are afraid of hell. Heaven is a place for people who love Jesus. And we love him because he saved us from hell. So what we don't want is a lopsided gospel. We want all these things. He has saved us sinners to life now and life forever in him. Right? It's a whole package, and we want the whole thing. And I think that's why Paul's willing to just drop it in one verse. Boom, boom, boom. Forgiven, live, live forever. Boom, boom, boom. Log on the fire. Now, we're going to switch. Now, oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay, so now we switch into Act 2. So Paul has tried to encourage Timothy to believe King Jesus and hold fast to him. And now Paul is going to begin to work this reality out in the laboratory of life. He's going to show Timothy how he has not been ashamed and also how he has suffered for the gospel, for God's glory, and ultimately, and this is scandalous, for his joy even in prison. You read Philippians. Paul's in prison in Philippians. And that dude is just full of real, genuine, authentic joy. So here we are, Act 2, Paul. Which unfortunately comes in the middle of the verse, but hey, what can you do? Um, For which I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher. So he was sent apostle, and he's one of the apostles. You don't need the A-team A, I guess, but big A apostle. He is one of Jesus' represent, you know, chief representatives. He is one of his witnesses, but apostle means sent. He's a sent one of Jesus to the world, and he's going as a preacher and a teacher. Preacher, ba-ba-ba-ba, K. Rousseau, proclaiming this thing, but also making disciples and teaching people in and out, right? And he's doing those things, and guess what? When you do those things, you get what? Associated with Jesus. He's going as his ambassador, as his representative. He is associated with Jesus and therefore finds himself in jail. That's why he's there, because he was sent in as apostle and a teacher and a preacher. which is why I suffer as I do. He's going to name it. But I am not ashamed. And I think this is, the, this is the centerpiece of this whole paragraph. For I know whom I have believed. Who has he believed? King Jesus. That's who he's believed. This word believed, uh, the grammar here, this is something that happens in the past that has ongoing results. We believe Jesus, and it's not just fire insurance so we get to go to heaven. When we believe Jesus, when we trust Jesus, when we know Jesus, this affects every day of the rest of our lives. This is why he can do what he is doing right now from prison. He has believed Jesus, and he's clinging to him because of it. Right? Your salvation is not something that just happened in the past. It is something that is, in a sense, happening. You're saved. If you're a Christian, you're saved. Don't get me wrong. But Paul will use the phrase, you have been saved, you are being saved, and you will be saved. As Christians, we experience present grace, future grace, and past grace. Past grace is the fact that you've been saved, and you're a Christian, and you belong to him. We will experience future grace when we go home to be with him forever. We think about those two a lot. We actually miss that every breath you take is a gift of grace to you. Your heart is working right now and you aren't even thinking about it. That's a gift. And that heart beats for Jesus if you're his. Your whole being is his and is for him. And that's a gift to you. That is a gift to you. He goes on. He goes on. And I am convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now he means his return. If you're in an ESV, it's going to be a capital D. Uh, it's the same phrase that's used. Basically, from the, the, this exact phrase is used by all the minor prophets. And it's used in Daniel, and it's all talking about when God comes and does what he's going to do on the day of the Lord and put everything back the way it's supposed to be. So he's looking forward to that. But he says, I'm convinced he's able to guard. What? This thing. He's entrusted him with something. He has entrusted him with the gospel. Uh, it's something that doesn't belong to him. Now, Paul will say somewhere else, he'll say, my gospel, my gospel is preached to them. But what I think he has in mind here is the reality that the gospel truth, the one that I hopefully am preaching now, that, that I know the elders of this 
pr- church preach well. The gospel's not something I cooked up or Paul cooked up or anyone else cooked up. It belongs to God. It is the gospel of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's not only the good news about him, it belongs to him. It's his gospel that he's entrusted to you as a gift. Uh, if you have experienced the experience of maybe community college as I have or university or, or just being at work with that guy who keeps reading the holographic universe and if you don't know what it is, don't worry about Googling it. It's totally whatever it is. But moving on, you know, they'll tell you things and it's almost treated like it's like, uh, like a fact. Well, you know, the Bible was just written by some people and it just kind of came together over time. And it was written by some people trying to get some power and some people trying to control people and get control and make money and blah, 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 blah. What's the problem with that idea? Paul here is making no financial gain gain on this deal. This is after 64. This is after Nero's persecution. He is going to die for the gospel. It's even possible and even some would say likely that Paul and Peter, one of the other main leaders in the early, early church, both die on the same day. They kill them both on the same day. Paul's beheaded, and Peter, being sassy, and maybe this is why I like Peter so much, uh, they say, we're going to crucify you. Paul's a Roman citizen. He doesn't get to get crucified. They say, Peter, we're going we're to crucify you. And he says, that's too good of a way to die. That's how Jesus died. And I said, fine, flip him upside down, which is the worst way to die. That's Peter, right? But here's something that's really interesting. You look at Mark's gospel, which is Peter's account to Mark that he writes down of the gospel events. If you read it again, slowly paying attention, you'll notice something very special about Peter in that particular gospel, and that is that he looks like an idiot most of the time. In fact, sometimes we give him a hard time for looking like an idiot. There he is. He is at the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus has appeared in his glory. Moses, who was really, really you know, lived a really long time before Jesus, is there. And Elijah, who lived a long time before Jesus, is there. And they're hanging out. And the apostles are there. And they're at the Mount of Transfiguration. And what does Peter say? Jesus, do you want us to make you some tents? No? <laughs> and what's great about Mark's gospel, when you read it, go home and check it out for yourself. There's this little, in, in the English, it'll be a little parenthetical statement where he says something to the effect of, because he didn't know what else to say. Because if you're in front of transfigured Jesus, Elijah, and Moses, you wouldn't know what to say either. And if you said something like, do you want us to pitch some tents? You're doing pretty good as far as I'm concerned. But there's nothing about the way these leaders write these texts that props them up as the center because they are too busy making Jesus the center. They're too busy making Jesus the center. Do we do that same thing with our own life? I hope so. I hope so. May he increase that we may decrease. So this gospel that he's been entrusted with, now listen, follow this. This is great. So listen. For I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Now he says this to Timothy, right? Follow the pattern of sound words. Perhaps a better way to say this particular word here is hold, have, keep. That sounds a lot more like the thing that's happening with with Paul, doesn't it? It's not just follow this thing. Of course, if you have it and hold and keep the gospel, you will follow the gospel and you should follow the gospel. The gospel does make demands on your life that you should listen to. But Timothy, I've been entrusted to this thing that I know God is going to guard until that last day. Timothy, keep it. Keep this thing. And then what does he say? This is great. And so I need you to see this is gospel-centered, right? This is about the gospel. It's not, Timothy, I know God's going to keep it for me because I'm an apostle or hold it, guard it in me because I'm an apostle and he needs, you need, you know, he needs to keep it and you, you need to work really hard to keep it because if you don't keep it, you'll lose it. He doesn't say that. Listen. That you have heard from me in faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by what? What's the word there? By the Holy Spirit who dwells in us. So Timothy, God is guarding this thing in me that I have given to you that you need to hold fast to about King Jesus. And I know the reason you're going to hold fast to it is a gift of grace to you by the empowering work of the Holy Spirit. If you are a Christian, you're saying, yeah, but 
I don't know, when that guy at the water cooler, he's really smart, he starts pushing me around, I don't know, I just kind of, I don't know what to do, and I just kind of feel it, I, I, I don't know, man, I just don't tell him I'm a Christian or whatever, and we've kind of been at work together for like 10 years or whatever, but, you know, I'm building a relationship with him, and then I'll tell him when he thinks I'm awesome, he's been working with you for 10 years, you've probably made him irritated at least a couple of times, right? Maybe that's just the people I work with for long periods of time get irritated with me, uh, who's to say, Here's the good news. Your ability to cling to the gospel and your ability to keep the gospel and preach the gospel and proclaim the gospel and share the gospel is not contingent on you. God is at work. He has set you apart for this task. Trust him. Trust him and just start talking. Just get going, you know? Sometimes that's all it takes. Trip over your words. Who cares if they think you're an idiot? They already think you're an idiot because you're a Christian. I said it. It's true. but you're not because you know whom you've believed. He's worth it. He's worth suffering for. He's worth being made uncomfortable for. So see it, right? God is guarding it. God is the Father. I think it's the Father here. God, for sure. God. It's another debate. God is guarding the gospel in Paul. He's going to guard it in Timothy. He's going to empower Timothy. And really see it like this. It's not in Pastor Brian Dixon has this text, which is like one of my favorite texts in the world next week, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2. Take what I entrusted to you and entrusted to faithful men who will do likewise. Take what I gave to you and give it to other people who will give it to other people. Uh, it's not like a football where they're passing the football along. It's more like a torch. Paul has the gospel torch. He lights it in Timothy. Timothy's supposed to take that torch and light it in others. And they take that torch and light it in others. And it goes. And what is so amazing and so important and so powerful is the reality that you sit here because Paul or one of the apostles lit a torch that they lit in somebody else who 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 lit lit it in you. And it's a gift to you. And it's a gift to you. And Paul knows that that gift is way more valuable than people making him feel uncomfortable, really, really death row uncomfortable. But that's what we have. You know, I, when you're here in Snohomish and you walk down the street, there's, you know, there's sort of the new agey shop up the street. If you're going down and eating Gorilla Bites or getting some Thai food or whatever, and it's there, and there's this big appeal, I think, in 2017. I, I think there's an appeal that's growing that we as Christians need to be mindful of towards spirituality in general. And I think there's this sense they've got the incense and the little hand symbols, and it feels ancient and kind of Luke Skywalker-y and like the force and stuff. And so we like it, right? Bing, bing, bing is great. This is what I got saved out of, by the way, so I can say these things from really first-hand experience. I think what we miss is that we can feel like, oh, we meet in this billiard hall, and there's an electric guitar, and there's a delay pedal, and there's a projector, and this is new, and that's ancient. Friends, this is ancient. A torch lit on and on and on. And not only that, but Jesus is the Messiah, right? So it's not just the New Testament. It's the whole Old Testament people of God reaching all the way back to Abraham, reaching past Abraham, back to Noah's family, reaching past there to the promise that God would make to fix the world that we broke. This is ancient. This is not new. Electric guitars are new. The gospel The word of God, the truth of God is not new. The gospel starts right at the beginning. I'm going to send somebody to fix what you all broke. The remix of Genesis 3.15. By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. The gospel you've been given belongs to God. That's his property. So are you for that matter. But that thing he's given you, that's his property. Take that seriously. It's his. Do what he wants you to do with it. Right? But do it, again, not because you should, but these logs on the fire. You've been given freedom, help other people be free. You've been given life, help other people live. You've been given the truth, give other people the truth. You've been really well loved, love other people. Act three. You are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me. Paul. It became uncomfortable to be Christians and associate with Paul. And so they ditch him. 
been there, done that. Among whom are Phlegius and Hemonagius. The only reason those guys get remembered is because Paul wrote them down, their names in the letter. Sorry, guys. May the Lord grant mercy on the household of Onesiphorus, who he, for he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. So in this point in time, in a Roman prison, there's one way you eat, and that is that somebody else brings you food. So if you are in jail, if Brian is in jail because he is a Christian, and he needs someone to come bring him food. And Mark goes to bring him food. What do they say? Huh, Mark's bringing him food. Maybe Mark is a Christian too. Maybe he should go to jail too. Maybe he should be in chains as well. And there's a risk there. But what do we hear about this guy? He earnestly searched for Paul. So he's asking people, hey, have you seen Paul? You know where the prison Paul's in? I'm looking for Paul. Do you know where he is? I need to find Paul. He's willing to sow. So he's putting his life on the line to help his brother in Christ. Why? Because he knows that being counted with him is what counts. May the Lord grant him to find mercy on the Lord on that day. And you well know, you well know all the service he rendered to me at Ephesus. So it's working out in his life. He's not ashamed and he's willing to suffer. He's willing to be made uncomfortable for the gospel and for his brother. As a church we have these identities. I'm, I'm new here, but I've, I'm learning, right? This is how we roll. But it's good because it's biblical, right? We understand our identity to be worshipers. That is realized in us and displayed in us when we are willing to cling to Jesus no matter how uncomfortable that makes us in the world. We are worshiping Jesus when we cling to him and say to the world that we love him more than anything else. And that is an act of worship. Likewise, our identity, our, our, our reality is family gets realized in us. Family is the number one word that Paul uses for a local church when that guy at the water cooler says, I heard some dummy in a sweater talking about hell or Jesus or the gospel and he's an idiot. What do you think about that? And you're like, yeah, I know that guy. I go to church with him. Yeah. What? <laughs> you want to go to lunch? I'll be nice to you, I promise. Come to lunch, right? When you're not disassociating yourself from the family of God. When you're willing to say, yeah, Restoration Road, that's my church. Those dudes, those dudes are my elders. Yeah, those guys, those are my members, those are my people, those are the people I roll with. It makes clear that that reality of Jesus and being part of his family counts to, to you. This says to the world that that counts to you more than what the world thinks of you. And it's being realized in that moment, that, that identity, that truth about you. Not only that, we understand ourselves to be disciples. Disciples are people who follow Jesus and live in the reality of him. Part of being a disciple is making disciples. That is exactly what Paul is doing for Timothy here. And it's worth noting, he doesn't just send him a letter and tell him to like buck up and try harder or just shout orders at him. Titus has got everything on straight, it seems. Titus gets three chapters, go appoint elders in Crete, hold on to the gospel, love you, dude, see you later. Titus is kind of more of the, that guy. And that's okay. Timothy gets two letters. He gets 10 chapters. And the whole time he says, my truth in the faith. Remember who Jesus is. And he encourages and he pours into him. He helps him. He helps him grow. And what he does is he tries to say, he doesn't say, hey, try harder. He says, hey, remember who King Jesus is? Hold on. Hang on. It's going to be okay. Use the eyes that God gave you. Use the heart that he's given you. Paul gives of himself to help Timothy follow Jesus by showing him who Jesus is. When we do that same thing, we are living out that reality. That's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to give of our lives to help other people follow Jesus. And finally, we go as missionaries. We go as these torchbearers, as his representatives, representatives of the king who carry this good news. Maybe it's to school. Maybe it's to work. Maybe it's down the street. Wherever it is, God has uniquely positioned you and uniquely put people in your life that need him. There are people that are on my block that are on your block. There are people on your block that are on my block. As a church, we try and do that together. But realistically, you are in places that I'm not and I'm in places you aren't but you're sent there to carry this good news. If you don't know Jesus, today is the day. He is God. He is Messiah. He will wipe your sins away. He will make you right with God. I think as people, we tend to think, I need to clean my life up. 
put on my Sunday best, and show up at church so I can get my life on straight. The good news of Jesus is a God who reaches down into our lives when it's a total mess and pulls us out of the mess and saves us. Turn from your sin and turn to him today. He will save you. You cannot outsin his love. You cannot outsin his cross. You cannot outsin his grace. You don't bring anything in here, A, that he doesn't already know about, and B, that he can't forgive you for. If this is you, and you feel more like Timothy than Paul right now, the, the idea of being ashamed or unwilling to suffer is kind of ringing in your ears right now. And you're like, oh, yeah, that's me. Here's the good news. This is the truth you need. Jesus paid the price for your sins. He rose from the dead. He sent you the Spirit. You have a church here that loves you, who will encourage you in the truth, who will walk with you, who will pray with you, who will encourage you, who are here for you. Take advantage of the, the gift of grace God's given to you in the people you're sitting right next to. And finally, maybe you're a little more like Paul than Timothy. And I'm not saying your life is perfect and you never sin and everything's on straight completely, right? Because the more sin we unearth, the more we realize that we have more tweaking to do, more things to repent of, and God is gracious in those things. We're taking off the old man and we're putting on the new, and it's a gift of grace. But if you're more Paul than Timothy, who are you doing this for? Who are you giving of yourself to help follow Jesus? Who are you encouraging to walk in this truth? How is it that you might give of yourself to glorify Him by loving the people that God's already, who love Him who He's already put in your life? What needs to change so you can give of yourself to help them follow Jesus? Let's pray. Uh, King Jesus, this is Your day. This is Your Word. This is Your Gospel. And You are so gracious to us. Lord, I thank You for this church. I thank You for this gathering. I thank You for Your truth. We need you. And you've given yourself to us. Not because of anything we have deserved. So we just exalt you as king. We worship you as king. And I pray for us that you just help us to see this truth and live in the reality that, that we are people of your kingdom. You are our king. And you are on the move in the world. It is finished on your cross. And it will be completed at your return. And we stand confident on your kinghood in those things. Help us, Jesus, to, to love you and love others to live for your glory. And we pray these things for your glory and for our joy. In your name, Jesus Christ, amen.